Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast, everybody. It is bye week Friday here, October 14th, the morning of Mike Rutherford in Louisville, Kentucky. Danielson Art is in Columbus, Ohio. Lots to get to today, but before we talk about anything else, Dan, I think the question I've gotten this week more than any other outside of stuff about Scott Satterfield and what Louisville's win over Virginia means is people want updates on what happened in your poker game last week. I don't know if, I don't know if you want to save this for Dan of the dumps. I don't know what's going to go up, but a lot of people are very interested in, uh, in how things played out last Friday night. Yeah. I mean, we can just get the old Dan and the dumps out of the way off the bat here. If we want, um, <laughs> I, I don't really know how to explain it <laughs> other than I turned into, um, I, I basically felt by the end of the night that I, I was the Mark at the table. Um, <laughs> like I was like the new guy that seemed like everyone was getting for, I had a rough night. I hadn't played poker in a, a while, but, um, yeah, so I, let, let's go ahead and get into it real quick. Um, first off, just because there might be, you know, I, I have no idea who listens to this podcast. We'll just say I, I was uh, I was not in, like, the best state of mind for poker <laughs> at the moment. Um, so that's basically how I arrived. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I had gotten shit cards all night for at least like the first like it seemed like hour i mean i was folding everything and uh just trying to kind of gauge the the table a little bit and then all of a sudden um i'm like all right here i go i got dealt king queen god i hope i don't butcher this story i got dealt king queen and it flopped uh i believe king king five and i was like oh finally here we go um, so I slow played it. We checked around. I checked, and um, there was only uh, three people in the hand. Uh, the host, the, the nice guy that invited me, um, he uh, he threw in a couple chips. I played along, and someone else folded. So it was basically just down to us two. Next card comes, and it's a five. I'm like, all right, I'm kings over five here. Uh, like I'm absolutely loaded on this hand. So I uh, <laughs> I check. He raises, I re-raise, and he goes all in. I could not have called faster. I was like, oh, my God, here we go. This guy's dead to rights. I, like, flip over my card so fast. And then I realized I have Queen Jack instead of King Queen. I was looking at my cards <laughs> wrong the entire time. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got the king. I was like, wait, oh, wait. <laughs> Like, it was the most fucking awful. Like, my heart felt like someone just stabbed me right in the heart. He's like, you want to buy back in? I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then from that, his wife ended up playing, which I had no idea there was, you know, going to be wives involved playing. And she even took me to the woodshed at one point. So, um, yeah, I basically went over there and uh, got pounded in the ass and came back home. <laughs> Uh, I almost shared the the text story. I wanted to put it on Twitter so bad where you're, you're telling that story and you're like, this guy comes over the top like I'm a goddamn tourist. Yeah, and, he, really, and that, yeah he really did. I was like crazy. He's like, re-raise. I was like, you little son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> God, I, when I flipped those cards over, I swear to Christ, like I, it was like someone changed my cards mid-hand. It's like a prank. I was like, wait, no, no. <laughs> The sad thing is, I, if I remember correctly, you used to be kind of good at poker back in the day. I feel like you you played pretty yeah, well. Yeah, no, I, play. I used to play when, when a everybody lot. was I, playing. Yeah, no, I I'd say I was a pretty pretty good player. I mean, by no means like you know, I'm not like at, at those ages. I was just someone. I feel like we played a lot. Um, I, it's poker's a game where you play a lot. I feel like you, you get a little better. I was a little bit rusty, but. Um, yeah, so he's like, come back anytime. I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he invited me to play basketball. I was like, you don't want that. You don't want that, bud. Um, <laughs> it's like at this point though, were you a little bit nervous that this guy's just going to like light you up? <laughs> Seriously. He's like, check. <laughs> just fucking <absolutely laughs> stuff in my face all fucking day. <laughs> Oh, uh, now now I really want you to play basketball against this guy. His <laughs> wife like just, just takes you right to the hole. God, I haven't played in a while, man. Jesus, I'm, 
I mean, we all got to get deeper. I put on like 15 pounds last week. <laughs> it would be rough out there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see if, if, if well, I end up going back at some point or playing basketball. Um, the listeners will be uh, alerted to it. Well, someone who didn't struggle last weekend quite as much as Dan at the poker table, the Louisville football team, uh, goes on the road, and I'll just say it right off the bat, I told you so. I told you it was going to happen. You I, were, I told, you I told were you, right. If there was a if there's a time where Scott Satterfield could take a weird situation and make it even weirder, it's going to happen. Bet on it to happen a hundred percent of the time. And Louisville did just that. They go on the road. They look good for I'd say two and a half quarters and win going away in Charlottesville, thirty four to seventeen. Brock Doman has a fantastic second half of of, of the game. Uh, leads the Cardinal offense to. You know, kind of what its most solid half of the season, maybe, I feel like. They looked fluid. They looked good. They looked like they were confident. It seemed like everybody was on the same page. Uh, and the Cards double up Virginia on their home field going into a bye week. Now, I, I think that I'll start this off by the same way that I started my show off on Monday. You can be happy that Louisville won this game and like take a, moment, a brief moment in time to celebrate like a, a solid afternoon of Cardinal football while also thinking that Scott Satterfield's not the guy and that eventually, at some point these next two months, we're going to have to move forward as a program and move on without him. You can do those two things. You don't have to be like, you know, whatever, Virginia fucking sucks, like everything still sucks, we're terrible. Like, we, we all are aware of the situation. You can be happy for one day right. that Louisville played well and won a game and maybe kept a brief glimmer of hope alive that this whole thing can be saved. But to, to me, like, the win on Saturday... It was nice. I enjoyed it. When Louisville wins, it makes you know, everything a little bit better. The The sun's a little bit brighter when you're walking the family. The pumpkin smell is uh, is just a little bit pumpkin-ier. Like, like it, it just it makes everything a little bit better. So I enjoyed the victory. I don't think it changed much in the grand scheme of things. I think the only thing that it did was really – it kept the door open for something to be saved moving forward. This, this win alone wasn't going to change anything, but it can be changed now if you, you know, beat Pitt next weekend on homecoming night. Uh, and then follow that up with a win over what should still be a ranked Wake Forest team, then you know maybe you're talking. But for right now, I, I think it was just, it potentially saved Scott Satterfield's job. I mean, we don't know how true the Adam Rittenberg report was. I heard from multiple people. I, I know that locally the reporting uh, that Eric Crawford and some others did was, you know, that report was kind of bogus. He's not going to be fired if they lose. I talked to some other people who were like, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure he's going to be fired if they lose. Um, we didn't get to that point. We'll never know for sure because Louisville won, and Scott Satterfield is still the coach of the team going into the second half of the season. But just, I guess I'll, I'll kick the ball over to you before we start the conversation. Your general takeaways on Saturday, did it do anything for you? Has your overall mood changed? Uh, what, what's your takeaway now as we go into this this bye week and start the second half of the season? I think from a fan perspective, like you hit the absolute nail on the head. Like, I don't know. I mean, like, you only get a certain amount of college football games a year. So when you win, like, I, you should be happy. You should celebrate it, like, no doubt. Does it change probably kind of the outlook of our season? Yeah, you're right. I don't think it does. Although Scott certainly has the chance to change that perceptions with how many opportunities we have in the second half of the schedule um, for quality wins. So I think he has – you could say like he has that going for him or it, it could be his downfall. It's like the level of play that we have to play the last, you know, six games or whatnot. But, um, no, I was, ha I mean, I was happy. <laughs> Although like, I'm not going to lie. When it first started, I was like, uh, like Brock's one pass that he threw like over the middle. Like it was like in like the second drive or whatever that went like 10 feet over. I forget whose head I was like, yeah. that might be the worst pass I've <laughs> ever seen. And I was like, please tell me this is not real, but you know what? Credit to him, man. He, he settled in. I thought he looked really good. And, uh, by the end of the game, I mean, I, I'm not saying there's a quarterback controversy. Here we go. Here we go. Malik is the starter. He should be the starter. What I am saying is, like, would it hurt to give Brock maybe, like, a, a Brian Brom freshman year, like, series or two a game uh, just to maybe, like, change the look up? I don't know. The Brock made some throws that, I don't know, it, it, it just seemed like the offense – looked a little more polished for a couple drives than I'd seen it in a while. Now, granted, it is Virginia. 
Tony Elliott. That was like one of the worst coach teams in the ACC that I can remember playing. Um, So obviously quality of, you know, level of quality played, not great. But um, I don't know. He showed me enough where I I would be okay if he got a series or two, if things maybe had stalled on offense under Malik. Yeah, I think because I was going to get to that. There has been a lot of talk this week about, you know, quarterback controversy. Is there one? And I've been a little bit surprised at the number of people that have been like, let's hand the keys to Brock Doman. Yeah, um, no, not, not that far yet. I, I, yeah, I mean, there are people willing to go that far. And I mean, you see them, you can see them on social media. They've texted into my radio show a lot this week. I, I think, to me, this doesn't create a controversy. What it does do, though, is create a scenario where if Malik's not playing well, you no longer feel like you're just stuck with him. Like, like for the past year and a half, really, because when Evan Conley's played outside of 2019 and when he's come into games the last two years, he has not looked capable. Like, I, I don't know uh, what changed, but he is, he is not like a capable backup. And you've kind of felt like even when Malik's playing poorly, this is all we've got, right? It's Malik or bust. I think now you're in a situation where, let's say a week from Saturday, we're playing Pitt and the defense is doing its job, they're, they're shutting Pitt down. And the offense just cannot get anything going. Pitt's taking away Malik's legs. They're forcing him to beat them with his arm, and he's not able to do it. I think now all of a sudden you're like, okay, if it's 7-3 to three at halftime and the offense has just been awful, I'm confident handing the keys to Brock Doman and seeing what he can do in the second half. Whereas if this had been three weeks ago, we're probably just riding with Malik in, until the game's over and just seeing what he can do. I think that changes things a little bit. I think you feel more confident in your backup quarterback. But I don't think it's a... I mean, and I guess in this hypothetical, let's say Brock comes in and plays well and leads you to a victory or almost beats Pitt with the offense, then I think you you start talking about, does he get the start against Wake Forest? Do, do you go with him and see what he's got to try to salvage the rest of the season? But right now, I, I don't think that it's, I don't think it's a question. I mean, Doman played well in the second half against the worst team in the ACC. Granted, their defense had been stronger than their offense going into to last week, but at the same time, like his numbers weren't staggering. He started off yeah. one of eight. Um, like you said, when he threw bad passes, they looked really bad. I think the the play that changed everything. Well, two plays that changed everything. Virginia's up ten nothing and driving on us. Uh, Brennan Armstrong gets inside the twenty on a quarterback scramble. I think it was Monty Montgomery or, or Dorian Jones maybe put his helmet on the ball, knocks it out. We recover. That play changed the entire tide of the game. And the other play is Brock Doman faking on fourth and, and two. I, I was sold. I thought we gave the ball to Jawar Jordan and he was stopped cold. But he keeps it in very similar to the Evan Conley run against Wake Forest in 2019. Goes untouched uh, all the way to the end zone, 43-yard touchdown. It felt like that play gave Brock a lot of confidence. I, I think yeah. I, I kind of compare it to when a good shooter is having a bad shooting game. And you know they always say, like you just got to see it go through the net a couple times. Whether it's a layup or like a short jumper, you just got to get something to get you going. I feel like that really got him going. And then he he was good from that point forward. So like, I, I, lo- I love the way that he stood in the pocket. I love the way that he was willing to you know, let his receivers get open, take hits and complete passes. But I'm not ready to just say, like, this is Brock's team now. Right. Uh, what What do you think about, like, are you someone who, I mean, like we had it the year with LaFleurs and Brom. I mean, granted, Brom was different. Like they wanted to get him some experience being like a you know future five-star kid. But would you be comfortable giving Brock like one to two series a game? Or are you like, nah, I haven't reached that point yet. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet. Gotcha. I mean, let's. Let's not compare. I mean, I, I love Brock Dome. I, I I, I'm, I'm not comparing to Brom. I'm a Brock guy. He's not a he's not a five star future NFL quarterback. Okay, I don't but, think. But yeah, Malik is not <laughs> Stephon Lafleur's. Unfortunately, that's so, fair. That's that's, um, that's 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 true. You know, I I I just think if if the offense is stalling, um, you know, it wouldn't hurt. I don't know. I I I just think this last half of the season, I'm looking for a spark any way I can get it. Um, and he made some throws that, yeah, can Malik make those throws? Yeah, I think he can, but I, he always doesn't do it consistently. So maybe you just run into a hot hand every once in a while. I, I do. I, a couple people have pointed out too. They felt like the receivers maybe were like running routes harder or were were more ready to catch passes because they knew on on traditional passing plays the ball was going to be thrown instead of you know 
when Malik's right. back there on traditional passing plays, there's a solid chance he's going to scramble and make something happen with his legs, which, to be fair, has been like our best offense pretty much this season. Um, I, I don't know if, how true that is. I did think it was the best game the offensive lines played. I, I mean, yep. Brock, he took some shots, but more times than not, he had time to throw the ball. Like, the, And then when we needed to end the game with the traditional running game, there were holes there for Travion Cooley. Um, there were holes there for Jawar Jordan. Like the offensive line w- was terrific. It kind of it looked like the way that we thought the offense was going to look going into the season. Like that, this was our hope. We're going to have a, a more traditional passing game. The offensive line is going to give you know the quarterback time in the pocket, and then it's going to create holes for our stable of running backs to run through. And this is where it's going to look like long, sustained drives, a couple of explosive plays here and there, and a balanced offensive attack. And this is really the first time that it's looked that way. And, and you know, maybe it is because we had uh, Brock Doman back there. I, I'm not willing to say that just yet. I want to see how Malik plays the second half of the season. And also, I want to see how Brock plays against better competition if he's in there. But uh, it was it was nice for one afternoon to kind of see the offense operating the way that we thought it might be able to going into the year. Uh, overall, though, big picture, we now turn our attention to a second half of the season where we play the reigning ACC champions, the first game, and then five games against ranked opponents, teams that are in the top 25 right now, including James Madison, who's undefeated. Is there, I mean, what's your confidence level that we're going to produce a result, whatever that is, five and seven, six and six, seven and five, that one, has the fan base like satisfied, and two, keep Scott Satterfield around for at least the 2023 season? I think seeing how the schedule is playing out the second half of the season, like I didn't know going into the season if like six and six would quote unquote, I guess, satisfy the fan base. Um, but I think the way the season started and seeing what we have ahead of us as far as competition, I think if for whatever reason we got to six and six, I think the fans for the most part, I, I wouldn't say they'd be over the moon, but that we that means we'd have like, three pretty quality wins in our schedule. So I think for the most part, I think they would be satisfied. At least I would. Um, but that is just, I mean, it's a brutal second half of the schedule. I'm trying to think, what are the home games that we have? We have Pitt, we have James Madison, and who's the other home game out of that? NC State. NC State. Oh, geez. I mean... <laughs> Those three would be nice to get. Like to me, they're they're probably the three most winnable. Um, but yeah, it, it it's 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 going to start with the pit game. Um, I, I think if we win that, it, maybe it'll give the team a little bit of confidence. But it's going to be an uphill battle. I don't know. Um, it's it's going to be tough. But six and six, I think uh, at least me, I would be satisfied with at this point. I think I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm, I'm not. Going into the season, I was like, I'm not going to be satisfied with 6-6. Six and six. I'm not going to, you know, I think it's probably saved Satterfield's job, but I'm not going to like it. At this point, I don't know. I, maybe it changes a little bit. I think it would take a, I don't want to say miraculous, it would take a hell of an effort for this team to get to 6-6, six and six, to win three of these, these last six games. I don't think it's going to happen, if I'm being quite honest. I still think, like, I'm excited about the Virginia win. I'm more interested in the pit game now than I would have been had we lost. Yeah. But but big picture, I'm still kind of where I was a week ago when we were talking. I, I don't – if you're asking me, do I think Scott Satterfield's the coach next year, I don't. Um, I, I think that we're still in a, in a position where this feels like it's a, a foregone conclusion. But I'd love to be wrong about that. I, I'd love to see this team have a second half of the season that nobody sees coming. But I just – God, that Boston I, College I, loss. I mean, yeah. if things are yeah. so much different if we're 4-2, and two, I feel like, heading into this pick. Or Florida game, State, like, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know, but one of the one of those two. I mean, you know, it hurts. I don't know that that, that just sucks. But um, I don't know. Maybe you win. You win, like we said. We said going into the season, hey, maybe he'll win some of these games that he's not supposed to, and lose ones that we thought that you know were sure things. So we'll see if that plays out. But uh, we're, we're we're definitely gonna have to increase our level of play if that's the case. Obviously, we'll talk more about Pitt uh, next week on the on the pod. Eight o'clock kickoff, homecoming game, back underneath the lights. It's going to be a big time weekend for U of L for a number of reasons, and that's where we'll turn our attention to now because that game is going to to serve as at least one of the focal points of a huge recruiting weekend for Louisville in both basketball and football. 
Uh, we found out yesterday that Ruben Owens, the five-star running back commit, who's the number one running back in America, is taking his second visit to L next weekend. So he'll be in town. A number of other big-time football prospects will also be in town. But it's uh, it, the weekend is being talked about more here locally for the basketball side of things because we got Louisville Live on Friday, which both serves as you know, the unofficial start to both the men's and the women's basketball seasons and also has become like the biggest recruiting weekend of the year for the Louisville basketball program. And I, I want to talk about one of the guys who's going to be in town specifically because this has been big news this week. A.J. Johnson, you know, I think the I think most Louisville fans now are aware of the fact that the D.J. Wagner ship has been sailing for a long time. Um, we found out this week he signed an NIL, NIL deal with Nike, which is the latest piece of evidence that he's probably headed to U.K. But A.J. Johnson, another five-star guard, has become the, I think, the apple of the eye of the Louisville fan base, and, and Kenny Payne specifically. He's going to be in town for Louisville Live. He turned some heads earlier this week, or at least, you know, caught the attention of some people locally when he was asked in a story on Adam Zagoria's website, you know, which two programs are recruiting you the hardest right now? And he said Texas and LSU were his answer. And I think a lot of Louisville fans were like, you know, it's okay to lose a kid. We can't get out work for this kid. What's going on? Uh, he did, in a different interview, say a lot of nice things about Louisville and talked about how excited he was for Louisville Live. I think it does bear mentioning that he's already visited Texas and LSU, among other programs. I know he went to NC State uh, as well. They have an advantage there because they they formed that relationship. I think if, if he's still saying that we're not recruiting him the hardest after this weekend, then you can you can kind of get mad about that. But a different report from Rivals just yesterday said the two leaders in his recruitment are Texas and LSU. I mean, we've mentioned on the pod before, Chris Beard is a not a great guy to go up against in recruiting. He typically gives the kids what they want. Like he's He doesn't lose many of these when he's got his eyes focused on a kid, and we all know about the money that Texas has. Having said that, Dan, I think if you're, if you're Kenny Payne, you need to make this happen. And yeah. I, 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 don't say that, I don't say that in a vacuum, but... If assuming that, and AJ Johnson has said he does not, he does not plan on making a commitment until the spring. He's not going to be an early commit. You assume we're going to know what the IRP has to say. Let's assume, for the sake of assuming, that whatever punishment they give us does not include a postseason ban, and it's essentially a level playing field between Louisville and Texas. I think at that point, if you're Kenny Payne, I, I don't think I'm asking too much when I say beat Texas, get us AJ Johnson because. We all know, I mean, we talked about this so much when we were talking about the, the coaching search. Louisville is a top college basketball program all time. They're top six, I think. There's going to be, when you hire a guy like Kenny Payne, there's a give and a take. The, the man has never coached a basketball game. That's not something that a program in Louisville's position would typically do. So that's the give. The take has been, he's going to get us the type of players that even Rick Pitino wasn't capable of getting. These five-star, one-and-done type talents, these, these future lottery picks. If that's what we were promised, you want to see it kind of right off the bat. And right now, it, with this 2023 class, it's it's looking solid. You might add George Washington the third. now, it sounds like, to this class. Those, you would have three good four-star players, but you don't have that future lottery pick type talent. A.J. Johnson gives you that centerpiece, gives you that crown jewel, gives you that potential top 10, top 5 overall class. He's a superstar. He would be just what Louisville needs to kickstart this new era. And I, I don't think that I'm asking too much when I say, go get him. Make this happen. No, 100%. And I guess the thing that also, I mean, I, I guess you could say worries me is if he does wait to make a decision in the spring, let's say let's say we don't get him. I mean, our, our, you know, I'm guessing the staff, hopefully maybe they have some sort of backup plan at that position, but um, you know, if we're going to put all our eggs in this basket, like you said, yes, this is one that we absolutely have to land. It's almost sort of an answer to the DJ Wagner recruitment at Kentucky. Um, and I don't know, you, you need some sort of cornerstone, some sort of, Hey, you know, put my stamp on the program type win off the court to kind of know that you're arrived. And I think a hundred percent AJ Johnson would do that. Um, but I mean, like you said, it's tough. I mean, we we saw the the whole Marcus Carr deal um, when we tried to uh, go get him from Texas and lost that one. So uh, we're going to be up against it. But 
hopefully, you know, Louisville Live is a success and hopefully the, you know, staff keeps building a relationship or whatever they got to do to win this. But I think you're right. This is this is an absolute must get for us. It kind of feels it, it sort of feels like the Teddy Bridgewater thing with Charlie Strong. We're going into year two. Like he got that guy that got the ball rolling and opened the floodgates for all these other recruits to come. I don't think that would happen with 2023 because, I mean, most of the five stars that are out there have already committed somewhere. Like if if we don't get A.J. Johnson, you mentioned a backup plan. I, I'm sure there's one in place, but the backup plan is, is going to be like a another four-star that's bottom end of the top 100. Yeah. If we, if we don't get him, it certainly seems like right now we're not getting a five-star from the 2023 class, which would be, all things considered, kind of a bummer uh, based on you know what we thought we were getting with Kenny Payne on the recruiting trail. Now, he clearly has made significant inroads with the 2024 class. We've got a lot of the top players in that class that are coming to Louisville Live. We've got a couple of the top players in the 2025 class. So you feel good about that moving forward. But if you want to you know get this thing going, you know, get Louisville back in the national conversation quickly, I think you've only got two options. One is to dramatically overachieve this year, which we'll see. You know, we're less than a month away now from from that process starting or you need to make a big splash in 2023 and the only route for that happening seems to be getting aj johnson to to, to become a cardinal do you think now, lot, do you, let ahead. me ask this do you think our level of play this year is going to have an effect on on his decision or do you think uh, that it probably doesn't matter either way like if he's gonna come he's gonna come if not it has like nothing to do with how you know the team looks this year i'd like to think it doesn't matter. Like I think that he would see Louisville regardless of how the season plays out as a place where he can come in and play right away and and you know be a one and done type talent, make himself a lottery pick. Um, you know, I, I don't think it comes down to if Texas has a better season than Louisville, he's going to Texas because it's a the stronger program right now. I'd like to think that he would look at the bigger picture. He said very complimentary things about paying the staff. Um, he seems to really like what they preach. Um, so I. I don't think it would matter. I can't tell you for sure, though. I I, I I can't get in his head there. I'm not sure exactly how much that would, would matter. I'm, I'm guessing not, not as much. I don't think it would be a deal breaker. Um, Louisville Live overall, we can talk about it briefly. It's going down a week from today as we're recording this on Friday at Slugger Field. I've been told that ticket sales are a little bit slower than they were hoping for. And I we have had some people like text into the show and say, you know, I, I, I just I, I can't get into it yet. We've been... We've had all these big marketing deals, all these exciting things. At the end of the day, I'm just sick of losing. I want to start winning. I think there is some fear that, that the fan base isn't going to get galvanized, even with a new head coach, because the outlook for the season nationally has not been is not great. Um, but we've been pleasantly surprised by Louisville Live every year they've done this. They've done it three times. It's been, a, I think, a rousing success all three times. I wasn't sure how it was going to work at Churchill Downs. It worked really well. At the end of the day, I'm expecting the event to be a success again. I know they're already kind of leaking that Jack Harlow is going to be there. I, I don't know if they were playing that close to the vest. They've been, so they've been touting this like special guest for a couple of weeks now. And they announced this week that Peyton Siva and Angel McCautry are going to be the co-hosts. And now like Jack Harlow is putting out like hints on Instagram. I mean, not even subtle hints. Like He's coming to Louisville Live, basically. And I don't know if this is the special guest, and they're just now revealing it to try to get a ticket sale boost. Or if Harlow was always coming and there's another special guest that's going to like surprise everybody. Uh, I don't know what's going on there. But who is the who's the most realistic, funniest special guest that like the, the, the recruits would have absolutely just no interest in, but that you could see like Louisville realistically rolling out there? Because all I can think of is like you have Harlow performing and it's like, we're not done yet here, folks. <laughs> Let us welcome in. The winningest jockey in the history of Churchill Downs, Mr. Pat Day. And like, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Daryl Isaacs. <laughs> I mean, AJ, John oh, AJ Johnson's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. no, Tobiah Hopper. God, best under jersey or undershirt in in college basketball history to buy off. No question. Uh, no question. What if, what if it was like Drake and he came out in the Louisville jersey? It's like would we be would awesome. we get AJ Johnson right off the bat? I'd I'd like to think so. That'd be great. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I don't know. I I mean, yeah. It would. Uh, 
it would be nice if we can get a, a packed crowd there for sure. Um, I saw on, on Twitter, it looked like Tennessee basically like took our idea and did like the exact same thing, which, Hey, I mean, credit to them. It's a, it's a copycat league as the kids would say, but, um, it, it, it looked good, but it, it's nice to know that maybe we're a trendsetter in this. Um, so we can hang our hat on that, but, uh, I don't know. I have faith that it'll, it'll end up being good. And like you said, I, I feel like every time we've done one of these, it's, it's been a success and, um, I mean, Kenny was at, you know, Kentucky for all those years, you know, under Cal. And if, as much as I hate the guy, he, he knows how to promote. So I'm sure Kenny picked up a thing or two. So I imagine that it, it's going to be a rousing success. He led the National League in RBI <laughs> last year. <laughs> Mr. Adam Duvall. Like, everybody's like, I, okay. Shit, I'd come in town for Duvall. I know. People are like, I mean, it's kind of cool, but like, you know. Yeah. Carter Knox is like, who? What? <laughs> oh, my God. That's like, I'm, I'm absolutely tired. What if they brought out like fucking Papa John? It's like, oh. He's back. <laughs> He's like literally coming down like the old Cardinal Bird did, like from like the parachute. Like It's like, is that Papa John? Former Louisville Bats legend. He's back home, folks. It's Brooks Kieschnick. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome in. Poker star, Greg Raymer. TJ Freedom. Yeah, uh, there could be so many here. Jesus. Um, let's before we take some questions from Twitter. Uh, Kenny Payne. It was ACC Media Day this week uh, in Charlotte for both the men's and the women's teams. And on Wednesday, Kenny Payne and L. Ellis and Sidney Curry made their rounds. And it, Kenny Payne's. I, I thought his time at the podium was there, there wasn't a whole lot there, but he did an interview on Drew Diener's show with with Drew and Jody Demling. That I thought the fan base seemed to really like. He, he opened up a little bit about some things. He um, said some things about Kamari Lands that I thought were interesting. He's you know he said basically like if Kamari plays like a freshman this year, we're in trouble. We need him to be a sophomore or a junior. Um, he talked about loving guys that can play positionless basketball that are versatile, which I don't think is any shock. I think we we know kind of the way that he wants to to play. But the mo- probably the most interesting thing that he said was when he got asked about the rivalry and. He, you know, he got asked straight up, like, do you feel like you have to hate your rival around here to, to, you know, for this to be a real thing? And of course, you know, a guy who coached at Kentucky for a long time, who still considers John Calipari to be a good friend, he was like, no, I, I don't think you have to hate them. Like, I'm, I'm always going to be indebted to the University of Kentucky. He, he said something interesting too. He was like, I think that Cal never really has hated Louisville. And in his mind, that's why he's been so successful against Louisville. He doesn't get ramped up for that game any more than any other game, which I think is, was definitely an issue when Rick Pitino was here. I think he got a little bit too ramped up and it made everybody play tight. But then he said, like, the answer was great. And then he was like, at the end, <clears throat> I hope we can get to a point where we can root for one another when we're not playing each other and look at it as like the betterment of this entire state. And I was like, Kenny, you know, I, I was with you there for a while, but I guess I'm going to have to hate them enough for both of us because that's it, it's just it's not going to happen. And, you know, it's a, it, it is what it is. Maybe he doesn't actually mean that. But, yeah, it was one of those comments where you're like, you know, that's not going to happen, Kenny. You, you know that that's not I will never root for Kentucky. I, I, it's not I, unless it dramatically benefits Louisville. I'm not going to it would ha- it would take like a Kentucky win getting Louisville into the college football playoff or into the NCAA tournament for me to root for them. And even then, I probably wouldn't watch. i just have to look at the score. It's just, we're not going to get there. It's not going to happen. Yeah, no, I I don't know. I, like, I guess I'm being older. I, I, I don't get as absolutely wrapped up in the robbery, I guess, when I was younger, where I would just, like, get totally passionate and, like, pissed off or, whatever like if anything was said like the wrong way you know when it came comes to the rivalry you know I I think this is first year as as a head coach for Kenny and I think a lot of what he's said since he's got hired is it's pretty coach speaky I would say so um I don't know I I I think maybe with the level of team that he has right now this is just me reading between the lines he would never say this but I, I don't know if he's trying to to 
you know, ruffle up any feathers at this moment. And yeah, of course, I mean, he coached under Cal. So it, it, for him, maybe it's a little different. I could, I mean, I understand why maybe that rubs the fans, you know, the wrong way. Um, but I don't know, man, like until we get back, I mean, I know we did win the last U of L UK game, even though it, I mean, geez, it, that, that seems like the level of play of that game was so low. Like, I don't want to throw it out the window. I mean, we won, but, um, until we get back to like a level that Louisville is used to, like I, for me, it, it's really kind of hard to look at other programs. Like I'm more worried about getting us back. And then once we do, that's when I'm like, all right, now we can fucking rivalry. Like, let's do it then. Um, but I'm, I'm a little more worried about kind of where we stand versus unfortunately, like, you know, where Kentucky is at this point. I mean, UK hasn't beaten us since pre-pandemic. Yeah, that is true. Real. It's been a while. Been a long. Nobody had COVID the last time Kentucky was beating Louisville in basketball. I couldn't grow so. facial hair. Now I can. So uh, you were you were good at poker. Yeah, back, uh, back when Kentucky was beating us in basketball. It's been a long time. Yeah, um, they're our bitch. We own them. It's been almost a thousand days since they've beaten us. So you know they can suck it. <laughs> um, but his, I think his comments were were fine. I, I get it. It was just. One of those, it is what it is. Type I don't think he's going like, to come okay. out and be like, oh, of course. Like, I know. Fuck them. Like, you know, like. Uh... I, I, I'm going to make a bold prediction, though. I think it happens. I, I think this kumbaya thing between him and John Calipari, it comes to an end within the next, like, three years. Something's going to happen in one of these games or on the recruiting trail where there's going to be a rift that, that comes between them. And it's going to be a little bit of, like, they may not acknowledge it publicly, kind of like Rick and, and Cal would do back in the day. They would sort of hide the fact that they hated each other. But there's going to be a behind-the-scenes thing where either Cal gets sick of Kenny Payne or Payne just is done with Calipari. A rift is going to happen. I don't think that you can – you can't be buddy-buddy the entire time. Like, like right. one – either we're going to get too close to Kentucky or, you know, we're going to threaten them in some way or Payne's just going to be sick of Cal's bullshit that it's, – it's going to happen. There's going to be a divide here. Yeah, the, the rivalry eventually always wins out. Um, and, I mean, we've seen that basically regardless of who the coach is. So – I, you know, I think we just got to let, let it kind of play out, get, get a game or two under our belt. And like you said, I, I think it'll definitely come out. All right. Uh, let's take a, I asked for some questions on Twitter. You guys, as, as you always do, uh, delivered in a big way. We probably can't get to all these, but we'll, uh, we'll get to as many as we can. Uh, Texas says, what recruit wouldn't give it all up to be a villain HD star, villain HD Come out and show yourself. We need you. Do you are you do you remember the villain HD days? Oh my do I remember? Jeez, I used to like sit there and watch them for hours upon end when I worked at a jobs that I was like, all right, like this is all I'm gonna do all day is just watch these over and over. He was a legend. I think he started off with like his name was something different at first, and now I've forgotten what it was. I just need to know uh, that he's Anvil. An- yeah, Anvil. Yeah. Anvil. He came back. He came back briefly and made like one because he retired after like the national title season. I feel like, and then he came back and made like one video in 2015 or 2016, and then we haven't heard from him since then. But in fairness, we really haven't had anything that's been like villain HD quality since then. The, the uh, 2010 just, Michigan State Sweet 16 villain video is one of the best pieces of work on the internet. Um, it, it, it truly is. Or excuse me, 2000 uh, 2012. Um, yeah. I mean, it is truly a work of art. That one, and then the the, the senior day Syracuse game yeah. was awesome. Um, he has some he has some classics in there. He was he was the best. Uh, Texter or I oh, was Texter. I'm back on the radio. Uh, D. A. Helderman says, "What is the best awful kids show on Netflix, and why is it Fireman Sam?" Best awful kids show on Netflix. Jeez, like my my kids moved on to like watching YouTube videos of like kids racing hot wheel cars of like mario characters so like all only only, only my girls watch netflix and it's a lot of chip and potato we are deep in chip and potato land so um that's kind of where i'm at right now the only netflix show that virginia watches is um gabby's dollhouse she's she likes that one gotcha um besides that we she's still like she's kind of like your kids like she watches more of the, the quick youtube videos she's big into songs too she just likes music. She doesn't like to sit down and watch like an entire show. Um, but Gabby's Dollhouse is good. I mean, it's terrible, but it's she likes it. 
um, Zo- Zorbagarp says, can KP fix the one glaring symptom of bad coaching that last year's men's basketball team suffered, which was weak-ass, lazy, don't-give-a-shit perimeter passing that would have made St. Helens' eighth-grade coach, Coach Clifford, uh, his head explode? I hope so. I mean, yeah. it, I, I don't. I don't want the the pass the ball around the perimeter. We did. It was. It did drive me crazy. Like we would just throw like lazy, meaningless passes at the top of the, the perimeter. It was just like like time killers. And I'm assuming that we're not going to do that this year. If we do, it's going to be annoying. Listen, every aspect of our games last year, I want changed. There isn't one thing. I want from yeah. last year to carry over to this year. I want a complete overhaul of passing, rebounding, shot selection, effort, you know, uh, body language. Like I want an absolute complete overhaul. So yes, that that is a that was one that was noticeable, obviously. So hopefully that gets changed. But um, yeah, if, if <laughs> I think everyone's probably rooting for looking at a completely different team than we saw last year. I'm excited for our first look. I mean, we're just now, it's a week from Sunday, we're going to see the red-white scrimmage. And, you know, more times than not in recent years, the red-white scrimmage has kind of been, you haven't been able to take a whole lot away from it. But this year, I mean, with us knowing so little about, one, the roster, two, the style of play that Kenny Payne is trying to implement here, I'm I'm really intrigued to see that. And then right after that, we'll have a couple of exhibition games. And then November 9th, we'll get it going against Bellarmine. So we're, you know, we're, we're right there. It's uh, season's coming up here. Uh, Robert says, what's the life expectancy of a person who spends $28 a meal at a fast food restaurant? I don't know if you saw this thing that was going around yesterday. I know you've been on the road for work, but there's a whole big thing about, you know, somebody's like, it's inflation's killing fast food. Like my fast food meal costs $28. And then people looked up the actual fast food prices of places and they're like, $28 at basically any fast food chain is a shitload of food. (laughs) I brought it up on the I brought it up on the radio show yesterday, and like the one person who I should not be bringing this up with was Trevor. He's like, he's like, it's actually not that much. Like Taco Bell, you can get like and it reeled off like nine things that cost him twenty dollars. I'm like, that's still a lot of food, Trev. Um, but I don't think that I could eat twenty eight dollars worth of fast food anywhere, especially yeah, not right now. That sounds like a late night munchies deal right there. But um, yeah, twenty eight dollars is a lot. Now, now I, I'm I, this is off question here, but something I wanted to bring up with you. Um, because I texted you about it earlier this week. I was out of town for work, and I was in Atlanta this week, and I ventured back over to Buckhead, where you and I, the night before the national title game in 2013, were at a restaurant called Dantana's. I don't know how I haven't changed my Twitter avatar to this, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, one of the best nights of our entire life. I hadn't been back there since. Had to snap a picture at Dantana's. Um, I don't know. Brought back some memories. Uh, we saw saw Jeremy Grant from Syracuse on the way out. Uh, <laughs> kind of random, but yeah, that that was uh, that was great times. It seems it, it felt. I'm I, I couldn't believe. And now that I think about it, like we're coming up. I mean, this is the ten year anniversary this season of the national title game. Um, I don't know if or what they're going to do um, or can they do anything to honor. I have no idea because um, of the fucking NCAA. But, um, yeah, that, that 10 years went uh, – even though you, you would think it went quickly. There's a lot that's happened between now and then. But, anyways, I was just bringing it up. It was such a good memory. The only other thing that I remember about Dantana is because that, that night was awesome. But, like, we were getting ready to leave, and, like, two guys who are Louisville fans, they, like, came over and like recognized me and like want to take a picture and I'm like this is incredible like people are recognizing me like, this is the best night like this is awesome and it got posted on Facebook and then I was wearing I was wearing the shirt that I had borrowed like years before from one of our friends who wasn't there and he noticed it and was like can I get that shirt back and I was like fuck I loved that shirt <laughs> that, that was Cost like I mean shirt. honestly like I mean you had the blog going for a little bit um you know leading up to 2013 and like I'd been out with you before where you'd be recognized but that was like the first time like you know when we got into town and we went to like the you know pregame party before Wichita where I was like holy shit like you're a fucking big deal like that Harry Douglas was taking shots with you and I was like okay I was like <laughs> he, he is a He's really taken off here with this with this blog. So, um, but yeah, God, what a trip, what a moment. I just remember walking into the Wichita State game and being like, I don't want to be this drunk, and I blame <laughs> Harry Doug. Like 
Harry Douglas almost ruined the whole damn thing for me. I was like, I was like, I, I was like, this is the fucking final four, but I'm not turning down shots from Harry Douglas. He just like kept sending them back. Um, that was, that was a, a I mean, it's not going to get better than that. That yeah. weekend was just perfect. It was perfect. Yep. Uh, Jacob, Jacob says, does the Virginia game change the outlook for Satterfield or is Virginia just that bad? We, we kind of touched on it earlier. I don't think it changes the outlook for the season or for Satterfield, but what it does is it keeps the door open for the outlook to be changed. Like if we had lost that game and then turned around and beaten Pitt and beat, even beaten Wake Forest and gotten back to 500, I don't think it would have changed anything. Um, I think potentially Satterfield would have already been out the door. But now if you win those two games and you get to five and three and then you've got four games left, I think people are like, okay, like th- this thing might be able to be saved. I think it just it, – it kept him on life support. It kept that – it kept the drip going, kept the beep humming. It kept him alive, and and that's where we are now. Yeah, and I think from like a player's standpoint, it, you know, I think it can only be obviously a good thing. You kind of get the morale up. I'm sure after the Boston College game, it, it seemed like the season was slipping away, you know, very quickly. Um, but now you're back at 500, and you have six big opportunities ahead of you. Um, so. Yeah, he's he still has time to write the ship, but like you said, I don't think it really changes a whole lot. There's still a lot to be determined here this last half of the season. Uh, Jason Riley, WDRB's finest, says, "Let's say Team A loses their quarterback and gets blown out at home to an awful team. Team B, B loses their quarterback and wins on the road easily against an awful team. Team B plays in the Superior Conference and has the best win of the season. Similar records as uh, NCAA selection committee. Who gets the higher seed?" Also, I should add that Team B owns the American Athletic Conference. It's definitely Team B. Team A sucks. 100%. Team B, yeah. Uh, God, I mean, like, that's another reason I want us to be so good is because, like, when we're not, like, even when, like, fucking Team A, who we all know who it is, like, you know, kind of hits a a down point in the season or shits the bed, um, (laughs) I can't really pipe up because I'm like, God damn it, I can't really say too much now because – um, you know, we've seen how the last couple of years have gone, but it was, a, we'll just say it was a, it was a very, one of the more enjoyable Saturdays that we've had to have, uh, or have had as a, a fan base in a little bit. I mean, some programs are built in a way that they can win conference games with backup quarterbacks and some aren't, and that's just yeah. the, the long and short of it. Some can do it on the road and some can't do it even at home. Nation, just, nation uh, of domination, baby. How did that not get it more likes? I don't know. Anyways, I mean, Brocktoberfest was the best so far. It's, yeah, it's that, that really was. Uh, Jay Blaze says, where are we at with the, I, uh, the IARP? Uh, I think we all like to know that. Soon, hey, hey, guys, it's Friday. If, if you want to go ahead and drop it today, we got a bye week. It'd yeah. be nice. We'd appreciate it. Um, what I was told two weeks ago, and this person covers college basketball, they were right about the timeline when it came to Memphis. They told me within the next four weeks. So that would give us two more weeks here coming up. They basically said, like, before November, they're expecting Louisville to be the next ruling that comes down. So it could potentially be, like, on Louisville Live night, which could be a very good thing or a very bad thing. But I'm expecting it before the season starts. Um, might be foolish there. Who knows? It could be, like, five fucking months from now. It could be five years from now. But that's the timeline that I was told by somebody who is typically right about these things. So. Remember this. Remember the scene in Armageddon where they're like, "Prepare the world for bad news," and then like literally, it like it's like when the world is like finding out that an asteroid is about to hit, and like it just like pans over different parts of the world, like people like are gathering and praying, and then like there's this like <laughs> like that's like what I feel like when the tweet comes out. It's like the IARP ruling is it on Louisville. It's just like I wish I had like a live cam of like families gathering like where are you going to take in your iarp news like i'm just like lighting candles in the church as like the news is coming out the crowd the crowd at gersel just like convenes on the one tv at the outdoor bar (laughs) that's like literally how i picture it it's been like so long i'm like oh god everyone at four street live just stops their tracks (laughs) stares up at the big screen in the middle of uh god um Danimal says, kind of related to Riley's uh, tweet, who has the best win so far this season, Louisville or UK? I mean, I mean, Central Florida did score like seventy-five points last night. Yeah, yeah, they did. Are they better than Florida? 
That's that's a tough one to say. I don't know. I mean, they're they're five and one. I don't think any of their wins have been overwhelmingly like, hey, big win there. But um, Florida certainly hasn't done much either. So uh, I'm gonna go with us. Sure, why not? It's our podcast. Yeah, fuck you, UK. We we are the best win. Uh, Keys Norton says more upsetting loss: the 04 game against Patrick Sparks. Or the 2018 Virginia game with a four-point lead with five seconds, or any loss to DePaul. I mean, the most upsetting loss to me still is 2014 UK in the NCAA tournament. I don't think it's going to be passed ever. But if we're talking regular season, the Virginia loss was the. I mean, as much as I love DePaul Day, and I'll blame Chris Mack forever for ruining DePaul Day, um, the Virginia loss in 2018 was just such a kick in the dick. I mean, it it, it cost us the NCAA tournament. It was. <laughs> It was so improbable. It was worse to me than the Duke loss the year later where they came back from, from 23 down or whatever. Um, to me, if we're talking just regular season games, that's the the biggest soul crusher. To, yeah. The implications, the Virginia game, obviously there was a lot more there. And I think like probably to the overall fan base, like that would win out. To me personally, um, only because like me and you were senior years, seniors or were we juniors in high school during the Patrick Spark, uh, Patrick Sparks game, and that was like, you know, we were the, in college. It was oh, yeah, freshman year college. Okay, yeah, I guess we came back. Like I remember coming back home for it, but that was like the you know like you're kind of those are the years you're like peak testosterone. I'm like fuck UK blah blah blah, and like <laughs> you know I, I literally was so pissed off after that game like oh that that one really hurt like i remember being so emotionally invested in that um yeah because that was the that was the final four team but yeah it was, uh, it was 04 so we were sophomores yeah so i i think from a personal standpoint i took that one harder um i guess you could say i had matured by the virginia game but obviously the virginia game that one was just a true gut punch and had more implications yeah i remember the the sparks game it was one of the UK games that got played before Christmas because I remember we were up. Th- I I, I want to say I remember the score exactly. I think it was, it was thirty to fifteen. I know we doubled them up at halftime, and I remember saying to my dad, "If we lose now, Christmas has to be canceled." And like I wanted to cancel Christmas. I felt like Michael Scott when we lost that game. Everything changed after uh, Juan Palacios got poked in the eye that game. It did. It did. Yeah. The Virginia game in twenty eighteen. This was you know before we had our Virginia, so we had, we had no kids at the time. And I remember, I think, you know, my wife is a very talkative person. I think that was the quietest this house has been for, like, an extended period. Like, nobody talked in the house for, like, two hours. Like, yeah. the shot goes in. I think I just, like, walked out of the room. I had to do, like, the the write-up on the website. And I, like, I think Mary just, like, didn't talk. I think I went upstairs. Like, we, like, brushed our teeth in silence. Like, nobody just said anything. Because you knew, like, the season was over at that I, point. I, and I loved I, 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 I love I loved David so much. I felt so bad for him. It was just, it was awful. So, I was at that game. And I think I've said this on the pod before. So, apologize for tuning my horn again. But I will never forget as long as I live. Um, like, when we were up uh, to and dang Adele was getting ready out of a timeout to take the ball out of bounds. And I was watching Virginia break the huddle, and I watched Tony Bennett go over to the ref, like, very, like, one-on-one-ish, like, in the corner of the baseline, and he, like, moved his finger back and forth, which was, like, implying that Deng Adele, like, can't run the baseline, so if he does, uh. and sure enough, I, I, like, turned to my friend next to me, I go, watch him run the baseline here, and, and we're going to get called for it, and boom, like, Tony Bennett, absolute masterclass, pointed out even before it happened. Oh, God, I'll never forget that. I'll never get over it. I mean, the amount of things that had to go perfectly wrong in those final seconds. Again, like, all we had to – if the five players had just laid down on the floor and done nothing, we win the game, and we go to the NCAA tournament. It's yeah. just – it still is the most incomprehensible ending to a game <laughs> we're ever going to see. At least I hope we're ever going to see. Uh, my guy, Dr. Colby, says – Kenny Payne seems to have been tapering down expectations from day one. Are his comments this week the death blow to what would traditionally be considered a successful season? Or should we be hopeful for a steadying of the ship after a couple of months of play more than just good effort? Yeah, I mean, Kenny Payne, when he he hasn't talked publicly very often. When he has in recent weeks, he seems to be doing a lot of like, you know, I'm not concerned about wins and losses. I'm concerned about the effort and, you know, building a foundation here. He basically seems... Everything in his comments seems to indicate that he doesn't expect this team to be, like, great. And 
you know, I, I don't know if that means like NCAA tournament good or, or not a team that's capable of advancing in the NCAA tournament or what, but it seems like his expectations, at least publicly, are in line with the people who are putting Louisville 11th, 12th, 13th in their preseason ACC power rankings. I think it's, I mean, one, I, I think it's probably legitimate. Two, I think it's probably the right thing to do, even if it's not legitimate, is set a low bar, you know, say this is going to take some time. And then if we do overachieve to the point that we're, you know, in the NCAA tournament as like a 10 seed this year, it's it's like Charlie Strong making the Beef O'Brady's Bowl in year one. Like we're we're going nuts. We're not going to go nuts for it again in the future. But for this year, for this situation, we I mean, people are ready to say Kenny Payne's the mayor of Louisville. Like he's the most popular guy in town. I, th- I think it's it's a smart thing to do. But I also do think that he he genuinely sees that this is going to like we're not where he wants this program to be moving forward. Right. And. and- I mean, obviously, we all want the team to be good and, uh, you know, have excitement about the team. But I, I'm I'm OK, like with having the the low expectations with what I know we have on the team, um, because I, I mean, I think the worst spot for Kenny would be to like overhype this team and then like come out. It's like, oh, shit, we absolutely suck. Like, um, you know, so I think he's doing the right thing from like a coaching standpoint and how he's handling it with the media. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously I would like to overachieve as well, but uh, I mean, I, like, I'm, I've got, I'm turning to like such a coach, like, yes, I am worried about wins and losses. I've said this before. I, I am much more worried about how we look at, like from an effort standpoint, from a continuity standpoint, from like a, you know, how fluent are we on offense and, you know, defense as far as rotating and stuff like that. Like that's the stuff I'm interested in seeing um we're not very deep i don't think so i think that's going to be a big struggle for us but there's a couple pieces there so you never know you can't you gotta wait for these games to play out um lsf says what do you think of the new red throwback basketball uniforms if the uniforms that they were modeling at media day this week are in fact our uniforms and they, they always are um i love them but it makes me a little bit ner- whenever we have good uniforms the team s- tends to suck like the, the best uniforms we have are are always with our worst teams, which makes me a little bit nervous, but I love the unis. I don't know if you had a chance to see yeah, them. I, I didn't. I, didn't I, like, I glanced and saw like media day videos, so I can't really comment on that because I didn't take a look too hard at them. Um, but I'll always be an infrared guy anyways. Way to be prepared, Dan. Yeah, sir. Supposed to be, God, supposed to be goddamn professional. Uh, <laughs> Connor Shea says, if UCF gets to claim all of outer space and call themselves Space U, what should Louisville take? Cheeseburger U? Um... How about balloon glow you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, balloon glow you. I don't know. The, kid, uh, the kids love it. The kids love the balloon glow. Yeah. That, yeah, that is pretty aggressive on UCF's part. Like, oh, we're just going to claim this. Um, yeah, that, that's – I'll ride with balloon glow you. That's a good one for me. I can't really think of any off the top of my head. I was thinking, like, horse you or chicken you. But um, we'll go with balloon, uh, balloon glow. The kids love a balloon glow. Yeah. Uh, Gil, Gil Bolberg says two questions. One, do you think Louisville would have made the NCAA tournament the past two seasons if Chris Mack would have worn a suit instead of dressing like a soccer dad post-2020? Uh, absolutely. No question. Two, what are your Mount Rushmore of Dan of the Dump stories? Um, I don't see I, – I don't even – you haven't told like all of your – we've gotten to a thing now where you just do like current Dan of the Dump stories. We haven't told all of your like past Dan of the Dump stories – um yeah like, like there's some good ones from from back in the day that one i don't know if i can say on the podcast yeah so we, two that i don't think we've yeah, like well, well i'll let people know next time i'm in town they're they're full they're free to pull up a chair at the bar if they want to hear some of them but um if if we're talking about the ones that you've told in the pod i think the one first of all last week i laughed really hard i thought that the the poker story was really good the one that maybe laugh made me laugh the hardest was um Lila, your daughter, getting really into death and like asking oh, yeah. the, the, the Dale Earnhardt video. Yeah. He's like, and, no, I want, I want to see him with his eyes closed. I'm like, oh, I don't you're know. like, you're like googling Titanic wreckage. <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, yeah, Halloween's coming up. Like, she's a witch this year. Like, this is like, I'm like, all right, she's gonna be like one of those girls that like really like, you know, has like the whole witch thing going and um, loves death. I guess I don't know. Uh, wing depth uh, at Louisville wing depth. Somebody ac- accused this of, uh, on the text line during the radio show this week of this being my burner account. It's like Mike's <laughs> burner tweeted this. I was like, what? I was like, I, I don't have a burner. Um, 
Wing Depth says, any early prediction on the starting five? Uh, Kamari lands at the two, question mark. Yeah, we talked about this last week. I, I think that I'm going based on the college basketball almanac because uh, they talked to Kenny Payne. I think that their predicted starting five is probably the accurate one, at least as of right now, which is L. Ellis, Kamari Lands, Jalen Withers, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, and Sidney Curry. I think that seems to be like the safe bet. And you, you guessed that like right away when I asked you last week what you thought it was going to be. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I, like I said, the only dispute maybe um, would, would be Mike James at, at the two. You know, it's been kind of quiet. We haven't really heard much about is Roosevelt Roosevelt Wheeler. Um, yeah. I'm kind of interested in his development. Like, I had some, some. I don't want to say super high hopes, but it, I, I thought maybe, hey, this could be a guy that that might be able to develop into something. But I feel like we haven't heard too much about him, so I'm I'm interested in his play this year. I thought it was interesting. Kenny Payne got asked on Wednesday about Mike James specifically, and his answer kind of led me to believe that he's not fully healthy yet. I mean, those injuries take a, a long time to come back from because he. Like, he was asking, you know, what, what is he doing well in practice? Like, I saw him last year, and he was looking like one of the best players on the team. Is he back there? And Payne kind of deflected and just started talking about how hard he works and, and all this stuff. Um, so I, I don't know if Mike James – if we're going to see, like, the full Mike James until maybe the second or third month of the season. But he's definitely a guy that I'm still excited to see whenever he does get back to 100%. Um, Adam Goff says, would you and Dan consider owning a pickleball team and trying to compete against Tom Brady? I I still I've never played pickleball. It looks like something that I'd really enjoy. Like it'd be fun. I want to get into it. Uh, hopefully, if I can ever get fucking healthy again. Um, but I would love to take Tom Brady down. I I I fully am on board with the the TikTok theory that Giselle's a witch, and that's the only reason Tom Brady has been good for the last like deep into his forties. And now that they're getting divorced, she's taking his witchcraft away, and he's looking like Skeletor, and he's you know he's gonna start to suck at football. Like I'm fully on board with that theory. So I think I could take down Tom Brady in pickleball. Gosh, pickleball, I mean, I don't know if this is just, like, a, a new thing, but especially here in Columbus, like, it is absolutely blowing up. Like, they have, like, a ton of pickleball where it's, like, kind of by my house. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I've, I've never played it. I'm not going to hate on it. Like, maybe if I played it, I think it was fun. But, um, yeah, it, whatever, 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 whoever's promoting pickleball, um, congratulations. You're doing an outstanding job. Um. Cassius Odell says, if A.J. Johnson does not commit, is the 2023 class considered underwhelming? Also, is there a conceivable scenario where Sat stays as head coach and Brown is fired? One, I think if you don't get A.J. Johnson and it's like a class of four four stars, then yeah, probably people are going to consider it underwhelming. I think that they will you know, people will sell themselves on this class, but it's going to take it's going to take this year's team overachieving for people to be like, okay, I still feel good about the direction of the program, at least as of yet. Um, but you can, I mean, I, I think you can still have a solid class without Johnson. It's just not going to be what we thought it was going to be Two, Is there a conceivable scenario where Seth stays and Brown is fired? Yeah. I, I think that's, it's certainly possible. I don't think it's likely, but I think it's, it's, it's conceivable. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I would, the first, I'll answer the first part. I mean, I, I, I would classify it, um, as a, I, I don't want to say a huge disappointment. I would say it would it would be maybe more of a slight disappointment because I I do think we have some quality guys coming in that class um, already. But like we said, it it would be nice and a benefit for the program if we're kind of able to land that you know cornerstone prospect that kind of gets the ball rolling um, and and get your name out there. And I I think that's what AJ Johnson would do. Mr. Fantastic, and we'll end on this one because I know we've talked a, a lot here. He says, expectations for the impending Louisville basketball season. Will the lack of guard depth hurt us or are the ones that we've got just that good? We, I haven't really talked to you about what your expectations are. And let's just let's put aside the I want to see like the okay. solid foundation moving forward, like the, uh, the, the kids playing hard and the, the scheme to look good and Kenny Payne to look like he knows what he's talking about. Let's talk about actual wins and losses here. What do you expect from this team? Are you expecting an NCAA tournament? Are you expecting to flirt with the NCAA tournament? Where are you right now with this squad? I say I don't think we're going to make the NCAA tournament um, flirt with the NCAA tournament. Gosh, even that seems like to me a little bit of a stretch. But I could, I'm hoping, well, not hoping, but I could see a scenario where we finish over 500 and make the NIT. Um, yeah. And would I be satisfied with that? 
obviously not like it's a little basketball, but uh, you know, obviously that's better than finishing like under 500 and, and not seeing any progress. So I'll go uh, finishing over 500 NIT uh, maybe like a, a time where like we can look ahead and be like, Oh, NCAA tournament, but nothing like remotely serious. I'm, I'm pretty much exactly where you are. I, I'd, I'd like to see them finish above 500 this year. Um, I My low bar, the bar that I think needs to be cleared is be better than last year. Yes. Like win more than 13 games. Um, and not just like the, you know, don't have the team fighting in the locker room after every game stuff. Like just, we expect all that stuff to be cleaned up. But in terms of actual wins and losses, like be better Do on we, the court in production than you were last year. Because of how the NCAA tournament played out last year, and like how much the ACC basically got shit on during the regular season. Like, are, you know, what's your view of the conference going into this year um, for the ACC? I think it'll be better than last year. I, I mean, because it, it ended up saving itself a little bit with Carolina and Duke both making the final yep. four and having a strong tournament overall. But I think, I mean, Carolina is probably going to be preseason number one in the country. Um, I, I, I think Duke's going to be preseason top 10. People think Florida State's going to be a lot better this year. People think Virginia's going to be a lot better this year. I think I think Miami's going to be really good. I think the conference is going to be – I don't think it's going to be the strongest that it's been or, or near the strongest that, as it's been since we joined in 2014. But I think it's going to be better than last year, which is you know good news and bad news for a first-year head coach with a you know a little bit of a limited roster. Uh, but it's – I mean, I, I, you know, expectations aren't where we hope they are going to be further down the road in the Kenny Payne era, but I'm still fucking excited. Like just, you know, thinking about Maui, thinking about the early season games, thinking about watching this team take the court for the first time, getting back in the Yum Center. It's still Louisville basketball, damn it. I'm, I'm still excited. I'm ready to get this thing going and just kind of find out the, the answers to some of these questions that we've been asking since since April, really. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's I think once Louisville Live hits, um, it, it'll be like, all right, like now we can kind of jump in with, with two feet here and, and really dig in. So I'm, uh, hey, even after last year, um, I am, I am very excited. I'm, I'm anxious, uh, you know, to kind of see what everything looks like and kind of the direction of the program and, Obviously, I think everyone wants to see what Kenny and the staff can do. So let's get this going. All right. If we didn't get to your question, apologies. We try to keep these around an hour, so we don't want to talk too much. But uh, happy bye weekend to everybody. Hopefully, you're doing something fun with the fam. Let's get excited for next week. We'll have lots to talk about next week as we get ready for Pitt and we get ready for Louisville Live. Uh, we get ready for the red-white scrimmage. We may be reacting to the IRP ruling. Who the hell knows? Uh, but everybody enjoy the quiet of this weekend. And we will see you guys next week. And until we do, go Cards. Go Cards.